0: Tuesday, March 8th, 2022, episode 730 and actually I think we're coming up on 1 year since you first came on and we talked about election fraud and I got and I got suspended from YouTube and uh but number we, yeah, I know, exactly. But to talk about all the developments going on right now in Ukraine, we first talked I think like the day after the invasion started, so But for all of the new listeners, which I can actually say sincerely now, I always say for all the new listeners, but not being on YouTube, I actually am getting organic traction on Rumble. So I actually have new listeners.
1: Excellent. That's good to hear.
0: It is. Thank you. Ms. Lopez, please introduce yourself to all the new listeners.
1: Sure. So I am Claire Lopez, uh, Lopez Liberty, LLC, uh, and I've got a focus on national security topics, uh, which is what we discuss most often here, and uh, that includes both uh, international and uh, domestic national security threats.
0: So where are we? because as I just said, we did our first episode right after the invasion like 12 hours later. Where are we now? There's obviously massive sanctions against uh, against Russia, from removing from Swift banks to I think today or yesterday. Uh, Biden banning all imports of Russian oil. I think on March 11th, Russia is going to quote disconnect from the global internet. What all is going on right now? What is the? How do I cut through the fog? What is actually going uh, on?
1: Well, there's a lot going on, and 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 you're right. It's really hard um, to, to to cut through that fog, and and a lot of that has to do with social media. I mean, this might be the first major war, certainly major European war um, that that has been fought as much on social media perhaps um, not quite of course but but as on the ground yeah. or in the air. Um, and so it's it's hard to uh, separate you know the desinformacia from from uh, the truth but we do our best and um, I will tell you one of the places that I really, look to for my own uh, information that I can trust and, and uh, you know, I find credible is the Institute for the Study of War. I might've mentioned that before. Uh, and it's uh, chairman of the board who is retired General Jack Keene. Um, you'll see him, I guess, pretty often on uh, Fox News as a commentator, other places too. Um, but that that's a good source of information. Be careful on social media, you know, Twitter, Facebook, all kinds of stuff flying around. Um, but where we are, yeah, it's the 13th day of this invasion. Um, Russian forces in the south have made more progress uh, than those in the north. Um, interestingly, the long column of Russians um, on that that 40-mile-long that convoy trying to get to and around Kiev uh, is thoroughly stuck. I mean, literally stuck, uh, partly because um, the weather is warmer than might have been thought for this time of the year there, Um, and the ground around the roads has all turned to mud, and the Ukrainians. These guys are terrific. I mean, they're, they're not only courageous, uh, but, but also pretty shrewd and and pretty smart the way they're going about fighting this. And what they did is they opened up, I guess it's a reservoir floodgates of a reservoir nearby that, that road that all those vehicles are on and kind of flooded the area just in case there wasn't enough mud. And so, um, in, in, in typical Soviet style, um, the Russians just packed the road like, all across the road like four vehicles across so that even if anybody tried to get around them like they're running out of gas they're running out of food they're running out of water to bring them resupplies well they can't do that either because there's no road space left and everything around it has been flooded uh the ground has been flooded and turned to mud so um i i just don't know why that column is still there um you know a couple of um uh, what are they warthogs? Uh, would have made oh, mincemeat out of them a long time ago, and I I don't know why they haven't. Yeah. Except that the spectacle of watching them is kind of fun, I suppose.
0: <laughs> it's so. Do you think this is? I'm trying to, in my complete limited knowledge of this. Um, obviously, there's you can't do nuclear; that's the end of the world. But it seems like it seems like. Putin thought it was going to be a almost like a blitzkrieg, like a lightning sweep, and it's getting completely caught up in a quagmire. Do you think there's any possibility of him trying to save face and leave, or can you not save face? Does, does he have to occupy now, or is it going to lead to like a conventional wholesale destru- destruction of Kiev with well, artillery I mean, I, and bombs?
1: I, I think Putin is still um, very much determined um, to at least take Kiev and a couple of the other major cities like Kharkiv in the north, Mariupol in the south, maybe Odessa in in the south and the Black Sea as well. Um, Has not been able to do that yet. Not any of those that I just named, but he wants to. He's he's absolutely determined to. Now, I don't know how unanimous the sentiment is in his own senior command. You know, those around him, the military command uh, his, his political, uh, advisors, um, you know, Sergei Lavrov, the defense minister seems to be all on board, but how about the rest? Not entirely sure. And as well among the populace, among the Russian people, um, they don't want their sons going off to fight Ukrainians who are fellow Slavs and they were not prepared for this. There was no, uh, real transparency or, or, you know, communication between Putin and the people whose sons, fathers, brothers, and, uh, you know, uh, uncles, whatever, are, are are being sent to to uh, kill Ukrainian civilians. And here we go again with, with this social media, which sends back, you know, the images of destroyed homes. I mean, civilian homes, apartment buildings, um, and then, you know, dead Dead Ukrainian civilians, uh, elderly people, women, children, not just not just fighters. So um, all of that's going on. Uh, he remains determined, as I say, making as much progress as it seems he can. But you're right that 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 blitzkrieg idea that he had in the beginning, which I agree with you. That's that's what he wanted to do, and like you know, be done in three or four days or something. Not happening. Um, I really did expect, uh, I think I talked about it, that the Ukrainians would fight. Mm -hmm. And um, indeed, that's what's happening. Not only uh, the army itself, but also um, ordinary civilians, including members of parliament, members of the Ukrainian parliament, uh, going to uh, local police stations uh, to be handed out weapons, AK-47s, ammunition, uh, a little bit of training maybe. And this is, grandmas, grandpas, um, you know, women, young people. I mean, very young, too young for the military even. Um, So even were Putin, you know, to somehow take the capital at Kiev, other cities, decapitate um, the Iranian government. By the way, total hats off to that president, Volodymyr Zelensky. He spoke today uh, remotely to the British parliament what a speech! Uh, I'm sure it's recorded if anybody has the chance to go listen to that. Um, it is literally Churchillian. And in the speech, I don't know, Tommy, if you got to see it or I not, really I only know. saw part of it. Um, but um, one of the most important parts of that speech, beyond you know asking for more help, uh, was Zelensky um, reciting essentially Churchill's words back in the depths of the darkest days uh, of World War II, during the Blitzkrieg Mm -hmm. uh, by uh, the the Germans, um, uh, the German army. And he, Zelensky, you know, quotes, practically quotes uh, Churchill, we will fight, we will never give up, we will fight on the shores, we will fight on the fields, we will fight in the air. I mean, basically quoting Churchill. I mean, it just sends chills up your spine. The entire British Parliament rose to give him a standing ovation. Um, so you know they the the Russians, Putin, want to obviously decapitate this man, um, decapitate his government. Um, you know, this is a guy. Uh, it's interesting who who comes out of the entertainment world, right? He was a comedian. He was a performer. Mm-hmm. Where have we seen that before? (laughs) Um, Outsiders, in other words, who are not career politicians, um, you know, coming in, stepping in um, at at an absolutely critical time in in this country's, um, Ukraine's history, um, do or die moment and absolutely rising to the occasion uh, as perhaps very few people expected him to do. But uh, he is... I mean, he's a worldwide sensation. And again, I'm going back to uh, social media. Uh, It is playing such an important role. So all of that's going on. Um, We can talk about um, the refugees fleeing out of uh, Ukraine to neighboring countries. Uh, We can talk about the humanitarian corridors, which look like maybe they'll be opened back up again tomorrow morning. That would be Wednesday, March 9th. Um, we can talk about uh, Poland uh, sending 28 MiGs, MiG 29s uh, for the Ukrainian pilots. Um, yeah. Lots of places to go with this, but uh, Ukraine is still fighting.
0: That that last point is, I I think the one I'll I'll, I'll bite on. So, how does this? Ukraine alone, I mean they can fight back. I don't think just again my limited worldview at 31 year old in a chair in Maryland. I don't think they could take on all of all of Russia. And so eventually it's going to leave either through arming or through proxy means or through global sanctions, but we are we are helping Ukraine. Yes. At, at, at what point does that and, and or will that cross a line to direct involvement? And if not, at what point does, does Russia take it as an act of aggression? If we start giving them planes and pilots, how does it, how does it spiral out? I'm my concern is yeah. Sorry.
1: Putin has already spoken about this and, um, you know, basically threatened, uh, the West and those who are supplying uh, Ukraine with, with weaponry. Um, for example um, in the absence of of you know good ukrainian um air capability before the arrival of these uh, these fighter jets for example um they have been supplied uh with um, man pads surface to air missiles um which have taken out i mean again here's you know what's true how much is true the numbers be careful about the numbers but obviously have taken out um a number let's let's put it that way a number of uh, Russian air assets to include helicopters and fixed wing craft, um, deadly uh, with, with the Stinger missiles. And then on the ground, um, the supply of the Javelin missiles, uh, anti-tank missiles and, and others like them um, have been very successful at taking out armored uh, vehicles of, uh, of the Russians. So um, hard to know what the real numbers are, of course, uh, but but that kind of aid is pouring in because uh, to the west of, of Poland, I'm sorry, to the west of Ukraine is Poland mm-hmm. um, and also other NATO countries, but particularly Poland, um, through which is is being channeled uh, into Ukraine a whole bunch of of this you know incredibly necessary um, significant amounts of aid, military aid, humanitarian aid as well. I should add. Um, and then in reverse, you know, um, not just Poland, but but Moldova and, and other border countries accepting, I mean, tens and tens and tens of thousands mm-hmm. of, of Ukrainian refugees fleeing the country. It's up, I think it's over 200,000, or I'm sorry, 2 million, 2 million um, now having fled Ukraine. Um, you know, this is a country previously that had 43, 44 million people. Something like 2 million of those have already fled the country and more are going. So um, as long as that aid, though, continues to pour in, um, I think the Ukrainians will fight. And and those MiGs are going to make a difference. And if other planes from other places can come in too, uh, that will only add to these capabilities. Now, I do agree uh, that the United States, NATO countries, other NATO countries, um, should not, must not, and probably are not going to get involved in anything like a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Uh, that would put our planes, our pilots in direct um, conflict. I mean, you know, air uh, dogfights, uh, shooting down each other's planes um, with Russia. And and that is something we, we should avoid and are avoiding. I, I don't think we're going to change that. Now, you, you talked a lot about sanctions and such and, and and we can go there and talk about those kinds of measures too, um, which not only right now are beginning to have an impact but are going to for months to come, no matter how long this conflict takes.
0: Yeah yeah no, my my biggest concern is is I mean I think of uh, Dan Carlin's hardcore history and he's got a six part series on uh, how World War I started what caused it, how it kicked off, how it carried out. It's called Blueprints for Armageddon. and it, It's better than any audiobook I've ever listened to. It's, it's mm-hmm. incredible. But he talks about kind of the beginning of it and how at the end generals were asking each other, you know, how did that all start? And they say, oh, if only one knew, we stumbled into it. And JFK actually drew a lot of inspiration from the beginning of World War One when dealing with his cabinet and those recorded meetings about the Cuban Missile Crisis saying in 50 years i don't want people to be living in a nuclear wasteland and say how did that happen and to say oh mm. if only we knew that's and this and and just let me preface this by saying hey you have to defend i mean on a base level you have to defend your your homeland you can't let an, an aggressor just come in and i mean truly rape your country you have to defend it but when i when i zoom out in an admitted selfish way as an american who's everything how do i not get involved it seems like it could very quickly go tit for tat, tit for tat, and next thing we know, the, the 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 gears of the of the war machines have started have started moving, and you can't well you can't back down, and that's my yeah. Fault.
1: Well, I mean, in 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 terms of the non kinetic measures mm-hmm. um, that the United States has taken, first of all, I'll say. I don't think Putin and Russia really anticipated
0: the response.
1: how that invasion would unify not just NATO, which really was coming apart kind of at the seams and still is not completely knit back together again, but much more unified now in NATO than, than prior to the invasion. Did not expect that um, and did not expect the worldwide condemnation of, of the invasion, 141 countries voted to censure Russia in the United Nations General Assembly. Um, only five voted in support of Russia. That would include Belarus and Iran and I, a couple more. And around 30 uh, something, I think, abstained. Interestingly, China mm. being one of those countries that abstained from a vote, which maybe was not expected. But but here's the other thing, Russia um, and China, even if you, know, you consider that they are collaborating and, and working together, which to some extent they are, they don't have the ability um, to shut any of the rest of us, let's say, out of the SWIFT banking system. Yeah. We've done that to Russia. They don't have the ability um, to freeze our assets because we don't keep them in Russian and Chinese banks, but they had a lot of their money in Western banks, all frozen. Um, Putin's six hundred and what was it, six hundred and fifty billion. billion dollar war chest frozen. He can't move the money; it's sitting there. Um, so the other side doesn't have those capabilities. Now today, uh, we heard uh, U.S. President Biden. Announce um, that uh, the United States would stop uh, buying Russian oil, which we'd been purchasing at the rate of 500,000 barrels of oil per day, thereby helping to fund the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, the other part of that is that instead um, – Biden and, uh, you know, the junta that that currently runs America uh, want to turn to other um, tyrannical (laughs) dictatorships. The Islamic Republic of Iran, for one, and the uh, Marxist dictatorship of Nicolás Maduro in Venezuela. Um, Instead of just opening up American energy potential again, like Donald Trump had us energy independent. Um, you know, this, this is the, the, the Green New Deal, far leftist fringe of, of the Democrat uh, Socialists of America, um, uh, you know, dictating to, to the rest of uh, the party, the Democrat Party and, and, and the administration, uh, you know, their, um, their demands for um, deep-sixing um, fossil fuel use in America it's killing us. I mean it's 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 killing our economy, it's killing our jobs um and more to the point, it is forcing, not forcing um that's the plan uh, that 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 has Biden at all turning to dictators are us of the world for fuel, going to you know going to OPEC, going to Saudi Arabia, asking them to uh, produce more, please, please. Instead of just, you know, opening back up our coal mines, um, our natural gas deposits, um, you know, under states like Ohio and Pennsylvania, humongous natural gas deposits that could help to uh, insulate Europe from the leverage that Russia is now imposing on them, especially places like Germany, because Germany was so foolish as to shut down it's all Well, under the influence of its own green movement to shut down its nuclear plants, which before then, under Angela Merkel earlier, had had provided um, a good deal of German energy needs. Mm-hmm. They shut them down. They shut them down and instead turn to natural gas pipelines. Nord Stream One, uh, for example, coming under the, the Baltic Sea and from Russia to, to Germany is is uh, running. But you know, the Russians can turn that spigot off anytime they want, and they have, and and they will again. Um, and now looking towards Nord Stream 2, which the Germans finally said, okay, we'll, we'll pause that one. Well, I don't know if people know, but it, it was already paused. It wasn't even going to begin operation until later this fall, here in the year of 2022. Um, so they offered basically nothing. Um, but instead of the United States ramping up our energy production capability in ways that would not only make us energy independent again and not turning to Venezuela, the likes of you know, tyrannical dictatorships and Iran, uh, make us independent, energy independent, but also we could offer to help out our um, European uh, friends and allies, but no, they're not gonna do that. So um, uh, this is where we are with, with energy.
0: You and I are are both uh, open and admitted not fans of, of President Biden. What is what are your thoughts, though, however, on on his handling of this? I mean, right. I mean, I would I would say that's probably a good thing, right, to stop funding the Russian war machine through our purchasing of their oil. Is there any. Is there anything good that he, he's doing? I mean, at some point, do we have to give credit where credit's due? Is there anything good that he's doing? We're not involved. We're not um, sending our troops. Well, drinks.
1: you know, I was just listening um, earlier today um, to an interview with Rick Rennell, uh, the former ambassador to Germany under President Trump, and then later also the acting uh, director of national intelligence uh, for for Trump. And uh, he was uh, in an interview with Yanya Jekielek at Epoch Times, which is, they're doing fantastic work there. Um, and Rick Ganel was answering pretty much the same question that you just asked. And he said, you know, uh, first of all, uh, he would have to back up um, and, 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 and start at a different point than, than Biden started. And specifically what he meant was um, Biden projected... Um, a a perception of weakness to the entire world. The moment he came into office, the very first day, remember when he was signing that whole stack of executive orders in in, in the Oval Office, shutting down our um, uh, Keystone XL pipeline, for example, on the first day, throwing tens of thousands of American workers out of jobs. Um, You know, breaking uh, our energy independence on the first day, telegraphing to the entire world, um, you know, please, please walk all over us because, you know, we're we're not going to stand up for ourselves. We're not going to be energy independent. Uh, that is what Rick Renell was talking about—that he would have to step backwards and undo or do do differently um, a, a bunch of stuff that 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 Biden already did. But the most important part of that um, is projecting that appearance of weakness. And that is always an open invitation to aggression to the likes of a Vladimir Putin uh, or the Mullahs or Xi Jinping or Kim Jong-un, take your pick. Um, they all, as well as our friends and allies and partners, um, you know, see this this person um, in in the White House and realize that, you know, he, he's not in charge of the government at all. Yeah. Uh, there's a junta running our government. They know that. And they also know that a lot of those officials are retreads from the Obama years and that they're all, you know, weak, um, a pile of limp spaghetti right. altogether. And and they take it, uh, the aggressors, the, the, the rogues among them take advantage of that. And our friends and allies and partners uh, become very worried, very concerned, and start to think about, you know, how do they maybe take care of themselves because they can't depend on us anymore. Um, So this is a horrible place to be in, was Rick Rennell's point. Um, Is there a credit that we can give where credit is due to to Biden? Well, um, I guess if I think about it, um, yeah, yeah, you know what? He sent, he's sending Vice President um, Harris uh, to Europe. I guess she's going to talk to the Poles and the Slovaks and um, Czechs and I guess maybe Germans. Poles, uh, I, I think I said. And um, yeah, uh, about borders. Uh, she's our borders are <laughs> and, 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 and uh, for, you know, <clears throat> responsibility for the United States southern border. So I can't wait to see how that goes over there. That that should be really good, um, <laughs> you know. What else has he done? I mean, okay, stopped buying oil from Russia. It's kind of like, well, when did you stop beating your wife? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's no good answer to that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, at the same time, I should I should add this in here. This is not a point in his favor. Biden and and the team are depending on Russia uh, to be an interlocutor. Uh, between the United States and the Islamic Republic of Iran in the Vienna nuclear talks, where, according to reports, at least coming out, um, if they can be trusted reports, um, it's it said that, that uh, the United States is just capitulating on everything, um, ready to suspend all sanctions ever imposed on Iran since the beginning of time, apparently, um, ready to talk about taking the IRGC, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, off the foreign terrorist organizations list, just like Biden did, I think it was very soon after taking office, took the Houthis, that is the Iranian Shiite uh, rebel militias, uh, off of the FTO list. Um, they're operating in Yemen. And what happened immediately after he did that? He Biden took them off the list the Houthis began shooting uh, missiles and drones and rockets into the United Arab Emirates. So immediately, when that perception of weakness um, is received, the aggression follows right away. So, yeah, I I don't know what to tell you.
0: Is there so? Is there any way that they? That they being the world and all the kind of unified powers, the 141 countries, everyone involved in the banking in the UN is there any way to give Putin an out?
1: Because- yes, well, that's already happening. Okay, um, and the out is being provided by China. Okay, now China is kind of straddling the fence on this whole thing, not uh, openly. Uh, backing or approving Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but not totally condemning it outright either. And as I just said a bit ago, abstain from that vote at the UN. Um, But in terms of finances, and and this bears watching, This, this is something we need to look at carefully. China is going to offer Russia a different way of accessing payments for continuing exports of Russian oil and gas and and whatever else, uh, wheat. Uh, We we need to talk about food, Uh, grain exports, for example. There are places that still need these things from Russia, but the payments can't be processed anymore. So China is going to offer a way, an alternative way to process the payments so those kinds of exports can still go to the places that need them opening up a whole nother payment plan monetary plan uh for the world if you want to do business you got to go through the chinese banking system that's that's where that's headed Hmm. um if we don't take care and and uh well pay attention i think
0: so how is there a way around that or is it just you have to choose the lesser of the two evils do you want to sanction russia Or do you want to not feed into the Chinese machine? Is there...
1: Well, immediately what what needs to to stop is the invasion of Ukraine and the murder of its civilian population. The the destruction, the wholesale destruction of its cities. That's the imperative. Mm -hmm. That's first. That has to happen first. Now, if negotiations get started in earnest and they're serious about a ceasefire, I saw today, for example, that... um, President Zelensky of Ukraine has uh, issued a statement that he would be willing to talk about, for example, the status uh, of the Donbas, of the Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts there, that he would be um, willing to discuss uh, relinquishing any uh, immediate aspirations to join NATO, because, as he says, uh, NATO is not ready for Ukraine anyway, because Ukraine doesn't meet the criteria to be a member of NATO. So he's willing to put that on the table. You know, I think those might m- might be kind of the off ramps uh, for this conflict, um, because Putin does need an off ramp and he needs to have something uh, to go home with. Yeah, Um. And I and I think I think those two areas perhaps are uh, fruitful ones, potentially fr- fruitful ones. Um, and so, if those negotiations get started, um, you know, in the near future, like the next couple of days, that could be a promising way out.
0: Yeah, you can't you can't back him into a corner and then act surprised if he lashes out, right? It's, yeah,
1: I mean. You know, we, we haven't really talked about this but and I make absolutely no excuses for for Putin who needs to go. I hope his own people decide to replace him with somebody else. Um, he is a killer and a thug, okay but it is imprinted on the genetic DNA of Russians uh, to be paranoid and I, I really mean paranoid about invasion. Because yeah. over their borders, which are mostly flat, flatlands of the steppes and the tundra, Urals in the in the west, yes, but mostly flat, and hundreds and hundreds of years of history of being invaded. Yeah. The yeah. Mongols over the steppes, Hitler, Napoleon. Napoleon. Um, you know, and 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 so as the Russians would look at the post-Cold War period, you know, after nineteen ninety one when the Soviet Union broke up. Uh, they saw a very aggressive uh, eastward movement uh, by NATO to sign up members um, that previously had been either actually part of, <clears throat> excuse me, the Soviet Union itself, um, or part of the Warsaw Pact. And and so you know we're talking about the Baltic states of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. We're talking about Poland, uh, Slovakia. Um, Hungary, uh, Romania, Bulgaria, um, and I think uh, in particular, I was looking at an agreement here. I'm finding it here. It was called the, uh, the U.S.-Ukraine Charter on Strategic Partnership, and this agreement was reached in Washington, D.C. Uh, November 10, last year, 2021, Um, signed between our Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, and the Ukrainian Foreign Minister, uh, Dmitry Kuleva. And and just in in, in the part of it that probably rang alarm bells in Moscow um, is this section that says, the United States supports Ukraine's right to decide its own future foreign policy course free from outside interference, including with respect to Ukraine's aspirations to join NATO
0: hmm.
1: I looking back think that that was foolish of us I can understand why NATO or why Ukraine would want to be a part of NATO a member I get that totally but when we the United States indicated our support for its aspirations to to join NATO even though, by the way, as we've said, it, it, it does not meet yeah. the criteria, in particular in two regards. One, Ukraine does not control the entirety of its own sovereign territory. And number two, Ukraine does not meet NATO standards for rule of law. Mm-hmm. And Ukraine is not likely to meet those standards on either count for quite a while to come. Mm-hmm. And and there again is what I was saying before might be a possibility of an off ramp for this conflict. But when in just you know a few months ago november last november the united states indicates that we would support an application for membership to nato by ukraine i'm sure that rang alarm bells in moscow that we just didn't need to ring we didn't have to do that we could assert our support for ukrainian uh, sovereignty territorial integrity yes but they didn't have to put that part in about supporting its aspirations to nato i i i think that was a mistake
0: as is very obvious to anyone that listens to this podcast i often for the sake of playing devil's advocate will play it but i've also just you know after being banned for having on you and mccullough and malone i often <laughs> do just that's my nature to go against what everyone else is saying so more as and as the the quote that I beat to death on the podcast the Voltaire quote the sign of an intelligent person is to entertain an idea without necessarily believing it I'm trying to f- try to at least and I don't but I'm trying to see Russia's side if anything out of an intellectual exercise, be it in imagination or rationalization or
1: No, this this is this is absolutely rational to think like this. Yeah. It it is. It's not uh yeah. irrational at all.
0: Well well some people just immediately start screaming and saying, Oh, you support Putin. And no, but I try no. to No, I'm just absolutely like, not. I'm like, let's let's put on our thinking caps and at least try. And like the best the best explanation I can come up with if I was a lawyer and I had to defend this person that I didn't agree with it would be of NATO encroachment, or like you just read, the promise of NATO admission—that I mean, I, I can on one hand defend JFK and the embargo on Cuba in October '62, and then not at least see where Russia is coming from—a a fear of encroaching an encroaching NATO power, and it, like you said, a promise and or an, a pro, or admission to to NATO. I have to at least try to look at it from that side and go, did Putin just snap and he's an evil bloodthirsty dictator? Nothing's ever that black and white. Sometimes it is, but that's what I'm trying to look at. is like, is there some justification? You're over there and you just see this power getting closer and closer over 30 years. Yeah, I mean, if there was a a Chinese Soviet Union and... And, you know, they uh, all of a sudden they tried to win over Mexico. We'd probably be up in arms. And I don't know if that would justify what's going on right now in Ukraine, but I'm at least trying to put on my thinking cap and go, what's really behind this? And the point of doing that would be, so can we create an off ramp that doesn't include a thermonuclear exchange, you know? So that's yeah. That's, no, I
1: mean that's that's obviously the number one objective, um, and a lot of things we could have done differently. I never, in a million years, would use the word justify for what Russia's doing to Ukraine. Hundred um, percent. That is absolutely criminal. And yes, by the way, charges are being brought against Putin, his close, um, you know, senior uh, circle of, of officials around him, and Russia. Charges being brought at the International Court at The Hague mm-hmm. for war crimes, which they absolutely uh, no way around it. They've committed on a massive scale, uh, and why I say Putin has to go and be replaced by somebody else. Um, but uh, if we want to bring an end, you know, to this carnage, yeah. we do need to find a way um, to create. Uh, off-ramps yeah. for Russia, for Putin, um, because without some kind of an off-ramp that they're willing to take, uh, you know, they'll just keep pouring uh, men and materiel uh, into Ukraine and overwhelm in sheer numbers what they're not capable of doing in terms of uh, a strategy that's gone awry. And um, or you know actual battlefield planning which uh really kind of has shown up the uh the russian army is you know not, not quite yeah. all that it was cracked up to be yeah uh, that's useful to know by the way
0: yeah 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 good good little piece of of information yeah i keep i just started a book that i should have read years ago the devil's chessboard uh by david talbot and it's kind of like the Dulles brothers and the rise of the cia and mm-hmm. um you know it, you can read now like their their criticisms of FDR and uh unconditional surrender and they were saying no we you know we got to give like the nazis like an off ramp and the imperial japanese an off ramp not in those exact words but i keep trying to come back to like well where can you get that sort of that gusto between stalin churchill and fdr to do unconditional surrender and really the only conclusion i can come to is was the absence of of multiple nuclear armed nations that's the only way you can kind of use that well standard. and
1: the fact that i mean you know the allies uh, were winning i mean yeah we're we're winning the war uh in this particular circumstance the underdog remains ukraine it's yeah. not winning the war um and 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 so it's a it's a bit of a different situation than the allies you know facing the axis powers at, at the end of, uh, of World War II uh, and demanding unconditional surrender because we had the ability to do that because we'd already pounded them into oblivion. Um, and that's not the situation we're faced with right now here.
0: Um. Yeah, no, no, 100%. I, I guess what I meant was the the option still existed to could we negotiate a peace and end it with less blood or do we we can just keep hurling resources at it like we we were going to do with like the invasion of mainland japan and yes although the 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 victory was inevitable it was just it wasn't if it was when the allies won
1: and the cost it would have been a question of the cost and you know oh yeah no
0: civilian lives too oh yeah no my dad's dad was was 18 and was drafted to be part of the mainland invasion so like I, mm-hmm. I absolutely would not exist he would have been cannon fodder that's just what it was so wow. but I look at that and the reason why we were able to do that and not even come to the board and go let's do a negotiation it's because it was just it's it's when not if we're gonna win we're gonna win either a million of our own men or whether atomic bombs we're gonna win the, the difference now y- yes tons of differences and that the underdog is Ukraine yeah but it's also like You can't. You almost cannot demand unconditional surrender of any nation that possesses a working nuclear device. You almost, because you always have to factor in. They might just go down kicking and screaming. And again, I know that's very limited. Again, I'm 31 years old with a biology degree. I have. I didn't go to the war college. I'm not. You know. I get it. But that's kind of where my mindset is like the end, like the Cold War yet ended, but like the threat of mutual assured destruction never ended. And that's still there. And it can still kick up at, at any time, as we're seeing with COVID tyranny, tyranny doesn't always come in the form of Nazis or the, the British, like sometimes it comes from the CDC in the year 2022. In the same way, mutual assured destruction never left us. And that's where I'm trying to look at it. It's like, I just don't want us to... And you're right. You cannot excuse what Russia is doing. You cannot justify it. They are war crimes. It doesn't change the physical reality that they are in possession of thermonuclear weapons. That's just what it is. And I guess that's my my logic is like, you have to use an off-ramp because otherwise it's it's it could be global suicide. Hopefully I would imagine that Putin's own men would... Maybe not follow orders or or overthrow them, but I don't know. I don't know where I'm rambling. My my closing thoughts on this is um I did want to ask you. So if we're giving all the javelins and the the stingers to to Ukraine, which includes the Azov Battalion, it's reminiscent of the 70s arming the Mujahideen. Are we going to in 30 years? Is the new Taliban going to be an Azov battalion armed with a bunch of weapons that we gave them in a prior conflict to fight the Russians? Is history just rhyming?
1: Yeah, No, I'm not seeing that. I mean, obviously, um, Islam, Islamic doctrine um, is global. Mm -hmm. It it, it unifies one point, what is it now, uh, six or something, seven billion Muslims around the world. Um, it is it is doctrine um, that spans the, the world. Um, in Ukraine, yes, there are Nazis. Yes, the Azov Brigade um, has the reputation of Nazi, okay? But it's limited. It is confined uh, there within Ukraine. And at the moment, uh, their capabilities are going towards fighting the invader the communists, the Bolshevik mm-hmm. Russians—I mm-hmm. uh, mean, it kind of is a throwback, uh, you know, to to the last century yeah. In, in, yeah. in that sense. But but it's confined. I mean, literally, you know, fascism, Nazism died seventy-five years ago. It it it, it doesn't really exist in any um, you know real sense of the term in, in the world today. It exists, yes. There. Um, in places in Ukraine, maybe other places in Eastern Europe. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not concerned about a Nazi uh, revival. No.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's obviously everything's, everything's much so- more
1: concerned about communism and that, you know, the Bolshevik revival than I am about Nazis.
0: Yeah. I mean, and obviously everything's perfectly clear in, in in hindsight, right? You can always look back and go, oh, we shouldn't have armed the Mujahideen. It's like, well, at the time we weren't concerned with 9-11. We were concerned with the Cold War. And yeah, so we're arming the guys that are fighting against the guys that we don't like.
1: Well, I mean, we we, we supplied Soviet Russia during World War II also.
0: That's what I mean. It's, because it's, at
1: some point you have to choose yeah. uh, what's the immediate, most important critical task in front of us. And then we'll deal with the other one after. Yeah, and, and sometimes you just have to do that. But there's just no comparison yeah, yeah. You know, between remnants of Nazi ideology, fragmented remnants left over from the last century, and a globalized communism, a Bolshevik um, ideology that is still very much alive and kicking, in large part not just due to Moscow, but to Beijing today and the Chinese Communist Party.
0: Yeah no uh, yeah no I'm 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 agreeing with you. It's we can always look back and go you shouldn't do this because it's going to lead to no you have to put yourself in the mindset of it's World War Two. Hey you guys are about to fight them during the Cold War. Right now you're worried about the Nazis and the Japanese and then yeah it, it's it's always easy to again me and my my air conditioned department you know hey guys you should do this and it's like am I really trying to you know look back and criticize Patton and and Marshall and yeah so. I don't know. Thought exercises. I just don't want there to be global thermonuclear war. I do think,
1: Mm.
0: I do think that, uh, I do think Claire and I should go to Ukraine and act as undercover journalists and do a podcast from a battlefield, just shells dropping all around us. Oh, that sounds
1: like fun. Yeah,
0: It would get us some views. It might be the end, but, you know, we'd at least get some views.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I've, I've actually been in a war zone before. Um, no good. Had an RPG take off uh, a chunk of my roof while we were inside. And my husband and I and our then uh, little girl. Um, and then another night we got mortared for three hours straight. Jeez. So it's not much fun. Uh, you know, Tommy, you're a young guy. You go for it. I'll I'll be your I'll be your contact back here at home.
0: You'll you'll take over the podcast for me. You'll yeah. You'll let me go learn the hard lessons of of, of young and idyllic. I'll come back here crying. Yeah. No, I'm gonna stay in my apartment in Maryland. Uh, I like I'll look at it through a lens. With that, Ms. Claire Lopez, thank you so much. Yet again you. for your genius, for the time out of your day. And we will resume, I suppose, next Thursday, unless something dramatic happens between now and then sounds good all right thanks thanks again yep everybody listening all the links to claire's writings as well as her social media will be in the description go follow her on twitter if you don't you're a communist don't be a communist (laughs) and um yeah thank you so much claire god bless god bless america stopped thank you miss lopez